As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best and economics, finance, investment, and international relations, find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. This is a joy after umpteen years at the Bank of America and really, truly someone really glued perfectly to the American housing market. Michelle Meyer has changed uh, the shingle to MasterCard Economics. She is the U.S. Chief Economist at MasterCard Economics, and she is brave this morning to come on surveillance. Michelle, boy, has your language changed from moving from the big bank out to MasterCard. You are all wallet share and wallet shift. How much is my wallet? wallet shifting after this weekend. Well, Tom, it's wonderful to be back on with you. And thank you, team, for, for having me back and being able to now, um, I'm honored to be able to now represent the MasterCard Economics Institute. As you noted, Tom, it really is about the consumer. The consumer is the pulse on the economy. And what we're paying really, really careful attention to is whether or not you are seeing those wallet share shifts, right? We're able to, you know, really get an understanding of, 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 of the trends in consumer spending on a granular level, you know, in terms right. of the different categories, spending on experience, spending on goods, and clearly spending on, you know, necessities. I mean, I think that's one of the key stories right now is with the inflation shock of really concentrated on necessities, food, gasoline, you know, that's been a big, big, a big uh, increase in the For you parents out there, tuition and summer break is under experiences, (laughs) just in case you didn't know that. What do you learn from charge cards? I mean, your granularity in how housing market was legendary. When you look at what we actually do with our various and sundry charge cards, what does it tell you about our share and shift? Well, look, I mean, clearly the, the, the data is, is robust and, and, and uh, you know, the main, the main data we're looking at, the MasterCard spending pulse data, which is going to be able to capture all types of payments to some extent. Um, so it's a really holistic view of the consumer. Um, and right now you are seeing the consumer generally still plugging along, spending very strongly. Now, of course, we are looking at nominal spending trends. And part of that increase is reflecting what you all were just talking about with this, this incredible inflation environment. Um, so once you adjust for that, real spending is, you know, clearly more more modest given that price pressure. Um, but the consumer is still out spending on, on a variety of items, whether it is those necessities or still even durable goods. You know, we're looking at things like furniture spending, which is still looking very strong. Tom, you mentioned my love for the housing market, which still exists. And we're looking at, you know, really um, detailed spend on housing-related items, which at the moment are still looking 
being quite strong. And Tom was talking earlier, Michelle, about quintiles of in, of income. How much is what you're capturing really the upper echelons of earners and not necessarily a holistic picture of the entire consumer uh, market? Well, I think whenever you're looking at some you know, high-frequency data that's not the official stats coming out of the government, you have to consider what your panel looks like and what you're capturing for the, for the broad economy. I mean, my sense is, is that it is a really good rep- representation. Um, you know, I think the general risk is that the very tiers are probably a little bit underrepresented, and the middle of the population is really what we're, what we're grasping there. Um, you know, for, for the really low-income low folks, that um, aren't using other types of payments that are mostly using cash, that's going to be a really hard thing to capture in any of these types of high-frequency data points. Um, But to be able to get that pulse of that, you know, middle-income consumer, I think it's really the key. The reason why I ask, Michelle, is because for a long time, people didn't even have to dig into their savings. They had so much cash that they could just keep deploying it. I want to get a sense of whether the ongoing spending uh, momentum that we're seeing is really coming from people continuing to dig into their savings or whether they're starting to borrow more, whether they're starting to leverage up and whether that could actually get crimped by higher yields. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the past year, it was extraordinary in that we had very, very low debt, right? The debt to debt service ratio, the financial obligations ratio hit record lows across a variety of income cohorts. And meanwhile, we had extraordinary amount of savings given the environment we were in, which was this you know, spectacular fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus. That's reversing, right? The Fed is hiking interest rates. We're not seeing the same degree of fiscal stimulus. So naturally, we're going to see a reversal there where savings starts to come down um, and leverage starts to come up. That's where we are in this cycle. Um, so it's quite reasonable. And I think that the silver lining is that at least we have those buffers. Um, And that's really important to keep in mind when we're thinking about these headwinds that are hitting the economy is what's the starting point? And the starting point for the consumer is a more solid one than we've seen during prior cycles. Uh, Brian emails in from over by Hell's Kitchen. Uh, And and Brian, Michelle, is asking you (laughs) what the when you look at all the charge card data and that, what does it change to the duration, the X axis of your inflation guess? Brian wants to know that before 830 this morning. Sure. Um, So, look, I mean, the inflation story, I think, is very, very clear, which is that we are in an environment where inflation has risen meaningfully, particularly. Come on, come on. Cut to the chase. I'm not talking to Alan Zentner. I'm talking to Michelle Meyer. Will the inflation sustain or do you buy the story? Inflation is going to ease up. Brian, hold on, Brian. He's on the phone here. Brian, hold on. Okay, go. Tell Brian just to give me one minute here. Um, Look, I think inflation is going to come off these extraordinary highs, but not quickly, not quickly. Um, There's a broadening of price pressure. Inflation expectations have increased and companies have pricing power and consumers have the ability to spend more as well, given that they're also seeing wages increases. So you have both a wage push and a cost push. And that is meaningful. So it's going to take a while for that to come off entirely. Michelle. Was that a clear answer? That was great. No, that was classic. That was, like, uh, this that was like a V. Bodhi course at BFA. Brian's busy putting out an earnings report for BFA in a couple of minutes, Tom. Michelle, thank you. It's going to catch up as always. Great it. to see thank you at MasterCard. You, you know that. Michelle Mar there of MasterCard. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. 
Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Dan Skelly, the head of market research and strategy at Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. And Dan, let's start there. You've been right, this defensive shift. The question I think for a lot of people in equities at the moment is whether there is a tactical opportunity to lean the other way. What would you say to those people? Not yet, Jonathan. Uh, and so, and good morning, Jonathan and, and Tom and, and Lisa. So, look, we're not there yet. Um, the bond market, the interest rate expectations have come a long way, as we all know, from last fall. Um, and so, look, the markets are now, call it 9%, 10% off their January all-time highs. Um, but we don't think there's two things that are priced in at these levels, right? So if we're expecting these rate hikes uh, and the markets digested that with just a 10% move, what can we expect for QT and for balance sheet reduction? And we can talk more about that. But also, what can we think about in terms of the hit to the consumer? And Ellen Zett, our economist, as you know, recently marked down her GDP forecast for this year by about a percentage point due to higher oil and gas prices. So we're not there quite yet, Jonathan. We're also, we would add, we're entering a seasonally weak period. We're gonna have some tax bills come due. Maybe Tom just finished his, as you as you noted, uh, but the summer months are seasonally weak for the markets. Dan, when you take a look at 10-year yields, almost at 3%, at what level do they start to matter? I mean, we talked about this, and I go back to something we talked about two years ago, and it's become almost obsolete at a time when yields have gone far faster and far higher than a lot of people could thought. What are you looking for here? So, Lisa, to your point, you got to consider two factors. One is the level and, and the speed and the pace of the increases. And look, I think to date, we've seen equity markets discount incredibly fast pace, right? So we've seen that in the last, call it three or four months, we're just talking about how fast the pendulum swung in terms of ex rate expectations. Um, and so look, I think you've seen most of that discounted in the equity market. On the other note, when you think about level, look, we've been arguing, Mike Wilson via his valuation math has been arguing that higher rates ultimately get translated into lower multiples, okay? And we've seen multiples come down quite a bit for the index, um, but we think there could be further derating to go. And so, you know, when you talk about like um, an absolute level that really matters, if you get that much above 3%, call it three and a quarter, you know, that's gonna take another couple multiple, point, multiple points out of the index. Dan, I, I look at the index now, and I look at sectors, and I just simply put, do I want to be passive or do I want to be active here? De definitely a time to be active, Tom, and, and truly an Why? excellent quest question. So the last several years, really uh, going into COVID and then coming out of COVID, was marked by 
a really uh, tremendous wave for passive, right? You could be in the index and do incredibly well, a period of high returns at absolute low volatility. And, and frankly, that uh, repeated the previous cycle. That was the case from 08, 09 till 2020. Uh, and things have really changed. We've seen a true regime shift, Tom, at all levels of the economy and the market. Uh, and we're seeing volatility obviously increase. We've had Tremendous volatility this year, given the Fed interest rate cycle, but also geopolitics, obviously everything going on tragically in Ukraine as well. Uh, and so given higher volatility, given a late uh, a cycle that's approaching late innings, uh, we're seeing the greater dispersion between stocks and sectors. And to the point earlier, you, you want to be very cognizant of which sectors you overweight. Uh, and so the defensive sectors have started to, to emerge as a leadership group. They don't happen to be uh, tremendously overweighted in some of the market cap weighted indexes, as you know. Dan, just to round things out, we can squeeze this in, I think. Is it strange to see this with yields up 50 basis points over the last couple of weeks on a 10-year, to see the defensives do so well? The utilities are up, they outperform, healthcare up, the likes of the banks down and down hard. What does that speak to you? What does it tell you about where we are in this cycle? Yeah, it's an excellent point, John. So you're seeing mixed messages from the bond market and stock market. And typically what we've observed over time, and Mike's written about this, is that when you see that divergence in message from fixed income from the bond market and from the stock market, typically stocks are telling you a very interesting signal. And so to your point, that defensive leadership is telling you definitely that stocks are more worried about growth, right? And so that's the tricky trade-off that the Fed is certainly going to consider over the next several months. They've talked very aggressively yeah. about doing everything it takes to tame the inflation tiger and put it back in its cage. But we don't know if that's possible. Dan Skelly and Morgan Stanley, thank you, sir. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the must-read of the morning because not only does Bill Dudley as an academic, but also as someone steeled in market economics, uh, as he was for years at Goldman Sachs, really gets out the timeline and says when. And what is so important here in speaking to the former president of the New York Fed is he addresses with courage not the easy guess of the 70s, but things to learn from the 1960s. William Dudley, senior advisor to Bloomberg Economics and writes uh, uh, for us at Bloomberg Opinion. Bill Dudley, Robert J. Samuelson of the Washington Post in his magisterial The Great Inflation and Its Aftermath. Why is now like Walter Heller and Vietnam? 
Well, one, we have lots of fiscal stimulus like we did then. And then we had the Great Society programs and the Vietnam War spending. And the second thing is the labor market is extraordinarily tight. You know, everyone's focused on what's having to headline inflation and has it peaked. And I think they're missing the forest from the trees here because what's really going on is the labor market has not been this tight in many, yeah. many, many decades. And that's the problem because if the labor market's too tight, Wages are going to continue to strengthen, and if wages continue to strengthen, we're not going to go back to 2% inflation. Bill Dudley, that intern at Goldman Sachs, Jan Hatzi, has said that on the show here a couple days ago, that the labor market is shockingly tight. Does that lead to the wage spiral? Michelle Meyer just spoke about it, and frankly, that is the collective memory of the 60s, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure how fast what inflation will go up because we have a lot of other factors pushing inflation down. But I think the key thing to focus on is if the labor market's this tight, what's going to happen to wage inflation? Wage inflation currently is running around 5.5%, depending on which measure you, you, you use. 5.5% wage inflation is not consistent with the Fed's 2% inflation objective. So how do you get inflation down? You need to push the unemployment rate up. And that's the problem. Every time the Federal Reserve had to tighten monetary policy enough to push the unemployment rate up, they've ended up in a full-scale recession. The key question is just when is this going to occur? And it's not going to occur in the near term because the Fed hasn't yet made monetary policy tight. Uh, it might not even happen in 2023 because uh, we don't really know how aggressive the Federal Reserve is going to be in terms of tightening monetary policy. But if the Fed uh, delays, all that means is inflation will get more entrenched and they'll have to do more later. So a hard landing is inevitable. Whether it happens in 23 or 24, that depends on the Fed. Do you anticipate they will delay? Based on what you've heard, Bill, how do you think they will respond to a mechanical peak in inflation this year? Well, I think they're going to take some signal from the fact that inflation is coming down because it's going to support their story about the transitory factors being a primary driver of why inflation moved up. But, you know, if inflation is 8% for a year and then 2% for a year because all the transitory factors are washing out, the average is still five. And, you know, if the labor market continues to tighten, which I think is likely, you know, the unemployment rate is already at 3.6%. It could fall even further. Uh, it doesn't really matter what happens to transitory inflation. Uh, what, it doesn't really matter what happens to the headline inflation. You have to look beneath the surface what's actually going on in terms of the tightness of the labor market and its consequences for wage inflation. Bill, what you're saying is pretty radical. Uh, you're suggesting that perhaps the Fed should cause the hard landing sooner and closer to now than wait because the consequences will be that much worse. Is that accurate? Well, I don't know that they should cause, try to cause the recession. I mean, I think they should always, always go for the soft landing. But what they need to do is they need to make monetary policy tighter sooner. Uh, I think the big uh, discussion here about what, what, whether the Fed's done a good job or a bad job is the timing. Uh, we're still at a quarter to a half percent federal funds rate at a time that the unemployment rate is 3.6 percent and year over year CPI inflation is eight and a half percent. It's remarkable. The Fed's late. Uh, they know they're late. That's why we're talking about 50 basis point rate hike at each of the next couple meetings. The Fed wants to get to neutral very quickly, but they haven't really signaled much appetite for going very far beyond that. If you look at the last summary of economic projections, the, the monetary policy setting anticipated at the end of 2023 was just a very tight very, a very, a very modestly tight monetary policy setting. Well, but right now I'm looking at WERP, that page that forecasts where interest rates will be. And in February of 2023, it's currently above 2.3%. When we talk to strategists, they say this is priced in. What should people be pricing in if your world were the one in which the Fed moved at an appropriate rate? Well, I think, I mean, I think the Fed needs to make monetary policy tight. And I think that I've been saying this for quite some time, that that requires short-term rates of at least uh, 3 to 4%. Obviously, it depends on where inflation ends up. 
If inflation is running 3%, then neutral is not 25 If inflation is running 3%, then neutral is more like 35 to 4 So it really depends on where inflation is. I mean, when people talk about the neutral federal fund rate, they act as if that neutral federal fund rate doesn't matter on what underlying inflation is. Higher underlying inflation, higher neutral federal fund rate. More for the Federal Reserve to do in terms of tightening monetary policy. Bill, just to clean that up just quickly, just on the timeline, do you anticipate the longer they wait, the higher the peak in the Fed funds rate will have to be? Yes, yes, because the longer we sit with a very, very tight labor market, the more upward pressure there'll be on wages, the more that upward pressure on wages will feed into prices. And so the underlying inflation rate will tend to drift higher. That was, that's really the lesson of the 1960s and the early 1970s. Each cycle, inflation ratcheted higher because the Federal Reserve did not address the, the issue forcefully soon enough. Uh, so if they delay, they'll have to ultimately do more. Bill, a fascinating read, and we appreciate your time this morning. As always, sir, fantastic. Bill Dudley, the Bloomberg Opinion columnist and former New York Fed president and provocative writer, too. A conclusion that reads as follows. The Fed's choice is clear. If it acts sooner, with inflation expectations still well anchored, the cost in terms of foregone output and higher unemployment should be relatively modest. The final line of the whole piece, Tom, if it waits and allows inflation expectations to get out of hand, the bill will be much higher. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Alina Polakova joins us now, the Center for European Policy Analysis. Alina, since the last time we have seen you, things have changed. A flagship of the Russian Navy has sunk. How does that change Mr. Putin's body language? Well, the sinking of the Moskva, that's the name of the ship, was definitely a big hit. Uh, to Russia. We even saw Putin's supporters, uh, the talking heads in the Russian state-controlled media, being uh, really critical of the sinking of this flagship vessel of the Russian fleet. It's not just the flagship vessel of Russia. This was the largest ship operating in the Black Sea. And what we've seen since then is Russia and Mr. Putin double down on their attacks on Ukraine. Just today, uh, we saw Russia hit with missiles, the western city of Lviv. Does Ukraine double down with this success and with the material they're getting from the West? Is Ukraine more able to maybe not the drama of sinking a ship, but do you perceive that they are engaged and ready on this Monday? They've certainly been getting ready. You know, President Zelensky has been making his rounds uh, with all the Western capitals and beyond that, pleading for more weapons. I think the situation we're seeing now is that the window is really narrowing. Russia is starting to target those supply lines. Now, we can't take it for granted that we've been able to, meaning the United States and allies, 
have been unable to get those weapons into Ukraine. Uh, now Russia is targeting uh, those uh, military routes. So it's going to become increasingly difficult. The Ukrainians are certainly tired. They understand what's coming, a huge new offensive. Um, I do think they're getting themselves ready, but um, they're still outnumbered and outgunned by the Russian side. Alina, can you give us a sense of what happens when or if Mariupol falls? We understand that it is surrounded and it is a crucial piece of land for Russia because it provides a land bridge to Crimea and connects to the Donbass region uh, of eastern Ukraine. How much will that be a game changer when that occurs? So the Mariupol, you know, it's a, it's a town that not many people had ever heard of. Even a lot of Ukrainians hadn't, hadn't heard of it um, until it became this big strategic battle uh, for for the war. And even back in 2014, we saw Russia try to surround uh, Mariupol and they failed. And now they're you know wrapping up the unfinished business in some ways. It would be a game changer from a military perspective. The, the main reason for that is because right now the only thing that stands between Russia's eastern front and sort of the southern front, where they have access from the sea, from Crimea, uh, where they can do an amphibious attack and landing, for example. The only thing that's standing and then being able to uh, combine and join their forces is Mariupol. As soon as that happens, and unfortunately it is looking like it's just a matter of days uh, until Mariupol falls, Russia will be able to then put, you know, let's say Marines in, Navy in from Crimea, take them to the east, they'll be able to combine basically the southern and the eastern front and cut off um, any Ukrainian troops they're able, they've been able to get in so far. But Alina, what does this mean in terms of the longer term also? Because we've heard uh, from Vladimir Zelensky that this is game over for peace talks. Seems like that's likely anyway, given some of the images and, and, the, and the rhetoric coming out from both sides. Given the fact that, frankly, the humanitarian crimes that the West is looking at to achieve this have been stark, how does this move the conflict forward in terms of the length and in terms of NATO's involvement? Well, it certainly is giving Russia, it would give Russia a big upper hand. It would give a much broader control of Ukrainian territory, opportunities to launch much more offensive attacks. I think it also makes the options for negotiation far, far more limited. They already were very, very limited to begin with. Uh, but clearly, you know, what we're uncovering in areas where the Russian troops did uh, leave around the capital of Kiev is, is gruesome, it's atrocious, and that's likely uh, not even uh, the tip of the iceberg as to what's been happening in places like Mariupol and elsewhere. Uh, so I think it's going to be uh, a prolonged conflict. You know, General Milley said this a couple of weeks ago in congressional testimony. We're not looking at weeks or months, we're looking at years. And I think that's really what we wow. need to be thinking about as the alliance. A real tragedy. Alina, thank you. Alina Polyakova there. Thank you. The Center for European Policy Analysis. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
some guests have to wait in the class act. John Lipsky has, of course, waited for us for this morning with Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies and his public service to Christina Gorgieva's institution. Dr. Lipsky, thank you so much for joining uh, this morning. John, we are drowning in once-in-a-lifetime events, and you write, as only you can do with your years of Salomon Brothers and such, of the new breadbasket threat. Frame the breadbasket threat for all of us. Well, very, very simply, the, uh, uh, the war in Ukraine is looking like it's going to make a very serious and potentially long-lasting disruption in world grain markets. Uh, Russia and Ukraine are major sources of grain exports. Already we can see the effect in uh, food importing, especially low-income countries, this is a potentially a serious threat, not in just in the short term, but longer term as well. But right now we've got to deal with the, the uh, disruptions in food markets, the rise in food prices that are really putting strains on many uh, low-income importing countries. You gave an historic speech in Vietnam ages ago, which basically reframed the relationship of communism with the Western world. I want you to give that same speech this morning about what our new fractured globalism looks like. John, what's it look like? Well, that's a, an open question and one that was put pretty starkly by uh, Secretary, Treasury Secretary Yellen in the speech last week in which basically said it's time for countries to line up in terms of their values, especially in the context of the current war, and talked about reframing the world trade system on a, a, what she referred to a, a plurilateral, in other words, not necessarily global, a friend-shoring basis, namely like-minded countries politically uh, get together. And that's a, a, a very much a new message from the uh, expansion of the World Trade Organization to a virtually global organization in the past few decades. So this is really an unknown. We'll get a test this week, Tom. The G20 finance ministers and central bankers are set to meet on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And then the International Monitoring Financial Committee, the IMFC of the IMF, meets on Thursday. We saw Mr. Biden, President Biden saying earlier that Russia should be thrown out of the G20. Let's see how these key meetings this week go in these terms. John, what's the calculus right now for IMF officials in terms of how to arrange who to keep in their club as they do a shift toward perhaps a pluralistic, not globalistic world? Well, interestingly, organizations like the IMF, the World Bank and the United Nations are treaty based. In other words, countries that belong, it's not just voluntary. They've signed a treaty. They have legal obligations. The decisions of these institutions have the force of international law. So for sure, the in the short run, the uh, Russian authorities and others are going to be participating in the meetings this week. How that goes will be very interesting. Perhaps more questionable. The G20 is simply a voluntary group. It's really 19 countries plus the European Union. Uh, there's no treaty underneath it. There's no formal obligation. Let's see if there's a willingness to keep this, this institution that was the principal creation, institutional uh, result of the global financial crisis. Let's see if there's a willingness to keep it going. 
John, what are you looking for in terms of how the IMF directs its funding, especially in light of what we started talking about, the breadbasket issue, the potential food shortages? What's the most effective use of IMF funds to combat hunger and some of the inflation that we're seeing in certain nations? Well, already in the in the response to uh, the, the COVID to the pandemic, the fund developed some some short-term lending facilities, additional ones, especially oriented towards those low-income countries most affected uh, by by the uh, strains of the of the pandemic. Uh, before the fund, right now, looking towards the longer-term strains, the IMF has now created a new Resilience and Sustainability Trust, which is a facility aimed at providing longer-term support for uh, for low-income countries, for the lowest-income countries. This is going to be funded by donations of special drawing rights, the IMF's so-called paper gold that was there was a new distribution last year of $650 billion. Much of it went to uh, the wealthier countries because it's distributed by quota. They're being asked to donate to this new IMF facility, the RST, as it's called for short, that will provide new funding for low-income countries. Let's see what, ha- what happens. To qualify, however, for this funding, countries have to have a traditional fund stabilization program. So it's not just a handout. It's you've got to put policies in place that will help that will be sustainable. John, I want to go back to the American economy. Long ago and far away in a book that sold 12 copies, you and Jim Glassman wrote about and absolutely <laughs> nailed the labor transformation that was to come from technology. We are now at a point where it is just Stunning the need for technology and the technology haves and the technology have nots. What's the next 10 years look like in labor and technology? Oh boy. Uh, great question, of course. Uh, not, there's no obvious right answer. Let me say just one thing in response uh, to the current short term situation in the U.S. with wages, the labor sector, wages, and inflation. And uh, just a few minutes ago, you uh, talked to my friend and colleague, Bill Dudley, about what's happening in in the prospects for the U.S. So far, what you've seen is wage gains lag behind uh, inflation. And I think one of the important reasons is because so far, people still expect inflation's going to come back down to previous to something close to previous rates if that if inflation expectations in the general public start to deteriorate then they're going to have a different view about wages and we're going to have a different view about inflation in the near term immediate what everybody can see in front of us is the need for for climate for energy uh, shifting energy sources is going to require massive investments in infrastructure and uh, other forms of of, uh, uh, of uh, capital equipment uh, where the funding is going to come from is an open question it's not going to be coming primarily from governments there's going to have to be a major restructuring of uh, of capital sources globally from the pri- from private sectors basically and this is going to be a discussion of great importance, not just this week in, in Washington, but on, ongoing, how to make sure capital markets direct the, direct the investments to their most effective long-term use. 
Deeply, deeply thoughtful stuff, John. As always, uh, thank you. John Lipsky, the former IMF First Deputy Managing Director. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.